Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. What harm can a little girl do? Four police officers suddenly burst into 10-year-old Lynn Dow's home. They forced her father, an underground pastor in North Vietnam, to remain seated while the authorities ransacked the home searching for Bibles. I remember when the police came, Lynn Dow recalls. They searched around the house all of that morning and asked many different questions. It was scary to talk to the policemen, but I knew what they were looking for, so I concentrated and tried my best not to be scared or nervous. As the police questioned her parents, Lynn courageously hid some of the Bibles in her school knapsack. When the police officer asked her about the contents of the knapsack, Lynn simply replied, it's books for children. Lynn Dow's father was arrested that day and sentenced to seven years of re-education through hard labor. When the policeman decided to take my dad away, all of my family knelt down and prayed. I prayed first, then my sister, then my mom, and last of all, my dad. I prayed that my dad would have peace and remain healthy, and that my family would survive those hard times. We were all crying, but I told myself to face that I have to face what's happening now. Word quickly spread about the arrest, and neighbor children began asking Lynn what criminal acts her father had done. She told her friends, my father's not a criminal, he's a Christian, and I am proud of him for not wavering in his faith. As each day passed, Lynn Dow made a mark on her wooden bookcase as she prayed for her father. She remembers, I cried almost every single night because I worried how my father was doing in prison and how the policemen were treating him. Before my dad was in prison, I was just a child and I didn't need to worry about anything. It was a lot different after my dad left. My mind got older very quickly. I told my sister that we had, help, we had to help mom to do the work around the house so she could continue to do my dad's work in the church. I prayed every day and every night. My faith grew very fast. I knew one, th I knew one thing that I had to concentrate on and that was spending time learning from the Bible so when I grew up, I could be like my dad, sharing and preaching. When I think about this, I feel my heart burning inside me, pushing me, telling me this is the right thing to do. Finally, after more than a year, Lynn told her mother and sister, uh, Lynn were told that her mother and her sister, they would be able to visit their father in prison. When they reached the compound, they were separated by a chain fence. Lynn quickly discovered that she could squeeze into the prison yard through a chain gate. She ran to her father and hugged him tightly. The guard watched the little girl, but surprisingly left her alone. What harm can a little girl do? They must have thought. Little did they know. Armed with innocence and childlike faith, children are a secret weapon against the kingdom of Satan. During that first visit to her father's prison, Lynn was able to smuggle him a pen, which he used to write scriptures and sermons on cigarette paper. These cigarette sermons traveled from cell to cell, and were instrumental in bringing many prisoners to Christ. Lynn Dow's prayers were answered. Her father was released early before he had served all seven years of his sentence. It was a big surprise when I came home from school one day and saw my dad had been released from prison. I ran and gave him a big hug. We were so happy. 
I was proud of my family and I wanted to yell and let the whole world know I wasn't scared of anything because God always protects each step I go in my life. Lynn Dow is now a teenager. She desires to follow in the footsteps of her father and be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She knows firsthand the dangers of sharing her faith in communist Vietnam and remains determined to obey Christ rather than men in spite of a grim future. She spends her time in intense Bible study. Don't underestimate what you as one person can do. God will work through anyone who is submitted to him of any age to accomplish his will on the earth. Just look at what Moses discovered. If one man or woman is willing to obey God, it can change the destiny of millions. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather freely. Father, and we pray for those today who don't have that opportunity to gather freely. We pray for the persecuted church, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen the pastors of those who um, meet in secret, Lord, that you would give them the resolve that they need to continue to lead, Father. We pray for the members of the persecuted church, for the body of Christ, Father, who put their lives at risk each and every day to take a stand for you, for the men, the women, the children, Father. Father, for those who um, persecute them, Father, we ask for, um, Father, for a breaking in their hearts, that there would be a softness, that the Holy Spirit would be able to penetrate, God. We ask that they would come to know you, Lord. Father, because of those that they are persecuting, that they would see the love of Christ in them, Lord. Yes. And Father, we thank you that the persecuted church continue to thrive continues to thrive and grow under persecution. We thank you that your word never goes out void, Father, and that that no barrier can stop it, Lord. So, Father, we um, wherever they might be today, Father, for those that are imprisoned, Father, for those who are meeting, Father, in homes or in meeting in secret, God, we thank you, God, um, that you have afforded them that opportunity, Lord. And, Father, we pray... Um, God, that you would continue to strengthen them, that you would continue to comfort them, Father, in their times of pain, in their times of discouragement, in their times of doubt, Father, and that the enemy would not get a foothold in their lives and in their hearts, Father. And uh, Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have had, Father, to give to those less fortunate in our community, Father, who are in a time of need um, uh, for food during this Thanksgiving season, God, for these bags that are here. Lord, I pray for each and every family that's going to receive a bag of love. Uh, Father, I just pray that they would um, receive a blessing, God, that they would know that there are people who love them, but even more that there is a God who loves them, Father, that they would have the opportunity to receive the gospel, Lord, and not just to have a physical need met, Father, but there would be a spiritual need met in their lives, Lord. And if they don't know you, Father, they would come to know you, Lord. And I pray for provision for their home, Father, and that many blessings would come to them, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for the message that we are going to hear today, Father. We know that it is directed by you. And we know, Father, that your word does not return void. And, Father, that there would be a response in our hearts, Father, in Jesus' name.
handed to Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will go free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day.
Jesus for this day, for the opportunity to gather, Lord, to open up your word, Father, to be encouraged. God, that we would be strengthened to do your will, Lord. God, that you've called us out of darkness and to your marvelous light, God. You redeemed us, you called us your own. You've given us the right and the privilege to call you Abba, Father, Daddy.
You've engrafted us into your kingdom, my God. You've called us to go forth, to announce the good news, to proclaim freedom to the captives. And Lord, as we have set aside this day, though it shouldn't just be a day, it should be every day, but as collectively the church worldwide has set aside this day to, to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters and the testimony that was read before our time of worship of this young girl from Vietnam, my God, I, I pray for those who are in, being persecuted. As we were in our time of prayer earlier, as I prayed, God, Father, those who are in these times of persecution seek not to be released from the persecution. Father, they ask for us to pray that they would not be released, but God, that they would endure, that they would consider it joy. That God, that they recognize that it's during these times of persecution that the gospel goes forth and your kingdom advances, Lord. God, give us faith like our brothers and sisters. God, that we wouldn't be so self-centered, God, but that we would be kingdom-minded. So we pray for our brothers and sisters today, God. God, that you would give them the endurance that is needed, the strength and the perseverance, the courage and the boldness, the joy even in the midst of their suffering, God, to do thy will. And we thank you for their example, Lord. As we open your word today, I pray, oh God, that we would set our gaze upon you, Lord, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We know, Father, that you are faithful to complete that which you have begun in us. So we thank you again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 46 and 47 are two chapters today in the Old Testament that we're going to cover. And I don't know about you, but I've been really meditating on our times and our studies, especially the couple, last couple weeks when we were together. And we saw this beautiful picture of reconciliation. Joseph and his brothers have been reconciled unto each other. Isn't that our God? He's a God of reconciliation. Doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done. His desire is that we would be reconciled unto him. That he holds our past not against us. You know, remember the words of Joseph when he says to his brothers when they go to go get their father and their families to bring them back to Egypt. He tells them not to ponder or to, or to worry about the things that have been done. But know this, what God has planned, what, what you thought you purposed, it was always God's plan. Yeah. To bring God's purpose about for God's people. And so as we're studying the Bible, I'm really hoping that we all would be encouraged with the fact and, and the understanding that God is faithful, you all, to what he has begun. Mm -hmm. That he honors his word. That he has a plan and he has a purpose. That it has started long before since the earth was formed. Like he has a plan, he has a purpose. And we're waiting for the return of our king. 
We're waiting for Jesus to come and to gather all who belong to him. You know, when you truly get a picture, as Paul says, and as I've been really thinking about over this past week, that God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. Yet though we were in complete rebellion, yet though we didn't even want the things of God, nor God himself, and yet all along he's pursuing us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he has a plan and a purpose for Israel. For Joseph. For the family. He's bringing them to Egypt, you all. And we're going to notice in our reading today that his plan for them while in Egypt for this go-around is that they would be provided for in the midst of this famine that has hit the earth. (laughs) But this time around in Egypt, they will not be perverted by the things of Egypt. They will not lose their identity in Egypt. That's very important. This go around. They will not give in or be swayed by the idols of Egypt. So we pick up chapter 46. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make your family, look at this, into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. Such a beautiful picture, you all. Like Jacob is going to die in peace. And in that, He's comforted with the fact that, yet though I'm going to die, my son, my lost son, will be the one that will close my eyes. Jacob, who had spent many years mourning what he thought the death of his son. And now he knows the son is alive and he's heading there, not just him, but his whole family. And this isn't the first time Jacob worships at Beersheba. But he stops there. And during the night, God speaks. And I love that picture. That God speaks. And in God's conversation, if you would, with him, He's given him the assurance that I am with you. And I'm purposing this. Jacob, before he had this encounter with God, he was heading back. Or he was heading to Egypt. Back to his son. With his whole family. 
He didn't know yet what was ahead. But he did know the God in whom he served. There's many times that we do not know our next steps. We do not know what's ahead of us. But we know our God. And in that we should find great comfort. In that we can find the fullness of joy. Because God is for us. He's not against us. That's the assurance that Jacob understood. That my son is alive. And in the midst of this famine. In the midst of destruction. Where I and my family could perish. God has provided because don't forget, Pharaoh sent with the brothers back to get Jacob and his family provision. That even in the midst of famine, provision was provided. And that's the same in our lives. In the midst of our famine, whatever it may be, financially, physically, emotionally, whatever it may be, God will provide. God is the one who is faithful. And look what he says here. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Look at these words. Such comfort. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. It's my plans. It's my purpose. I am purposing this. I have designed it. I am faithful. And through this, I'm going to make your kinfolk, your family, a great nation. And we need the nation of Israel to be birthed. Because it's through the nation of Israel, the Messiah, the one who was purposed to come. pick up in verse 5. So Jacob left Beersheba and his sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones and their wives and the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all their personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt. Sons and granddaughters, I'm sorry, sons, daughters, and granddaughters, all of his descendants. And I meant to point out in verse 4. I will go with you down to Egypt. And the last part of that verse, underlined it, circle it, because it's important. And he says, and I will bring you back again. See, Egypt was never the land that God promised for his people. So God didn't change his mind of the promise of the land that he would bring his people into. The land of provision. Mm -hmm. Egypt was only at this time a source of provision that God was using to birth a nation. But it was not ultimately the plan that that's where they would remain. God orders the steps in his sovereignty. God will use whoever, whatever, to bring about his purpose. And we're going to see that as we're going through the word. God is sovereign. God will raise up leaders. God will tear down leaders. 
God raises up nations to do his bidding and he tears them down when he's finished. God is sovereign. Egypt was not the destination. Egypt right now was just a layover. God does his best work in our region. In the areas that it's not where God has purposed us to be, but God uses it to bring about his purpose in us. It's very important that we recognize that as we're studying. It's very important. I'm just not taking you there. You're there for a season. I'm going to bring you back. But you're going to have to endure. And again, this go-around in Egypt, there's favor. <laughs> as we get through, we'll see Egypt, another round of Egypt, where it wasn't so much as being favored. But this time... They're favored. And they're just there for a season. So in verse 8, these are the names of the descendants of Israel, the sons of Jacob, who went to Egypt. And again, from our study before, we understand that it's very important that they kept track of the genealogy of everyone. Of everyone in their family. So we're going to see a lot as we go through the Old Testament, the list. So verses... Starting in verse 8 through verse 25 are all the names. The sons, the daughters, the granddaughters, and so forth. All of his descendants. I'm not going to butcher them. So we're going to pick up here in verse 26. The total number of Jacob's direct descendants who went with him to Egypt, not counting his sons' wives, was 66. In addition, Joseph had two sons who were born in Egypt. So altogether, there were 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. And think about that. Out of that 70, a whole entire nation is going to come forth. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Oh, wow. What a beautiful picture. He had been separated for so long, and they had such love for each other. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that day must have been like. In verse 30, it says, Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's entire family, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him, My brothers and my father's entire family have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds and they raise livestock. They have been brought, I'm sorry, they have brought with them their flocks and herds and everything they own. Then he said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him we are servants. 
have, I'm sorry, we, your servants, have raised livestock all of our lives, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. Interesting. And yet, though, they despised him. They had such great favor with Pharaoh. And again, the purpose to keep them in this land of Goshen, this land where they could raise their, their herds, but there's a greater purpose behind them staying in this land. And so it was to protect them. So they would not lose their identity in Egypt. Remember, Egypt served other gods. They were wicked. They weren't God-fearing people. Pharaoh was not a God-fearing ruler. But yet, Joseph had favor in his eyes. He recognized the God that Joseph served. And now, the family is finding favor. And Joseph knows that when you go into Pharaoh, remind him or let him know who you are. Your shepherds. And Joseph knew exactly where Pharaoh would send them to live. And yet, in the midst of all of this, God is orchestrating it. That they would not lose their identity. And so it is with us, you all. What lesson can we learn from these words today? That we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not to lose our identity. That God has purposely placed us here in this generation, in this time, and where you're at in your lives, to not lose your identity among the world. But to maintain it. To live a righteous life. A God-fearing life. And they grew. Think about this. They could have got lost in Egypt. They could have lost their identity in Egypt. And they would have wandered aimlessly. But yet, here they are in Egypt. This go around. And they were protected because they served right where they were and accomplished what God was purposing for them right in that season and from this an entire nation began to be formed. So don't let where you're at define you. You define where you're at through God's leading of His Holy Spirit in your life in obedience. And that's what we see all through Scripture. Will you not be rewarded if you do what is right? We just need to be obedient. Jesus says, those who will love me will obey. He sends us out to testify of the good news, the gospel. To live as one who belongs to him. Not to get caught up in the world. Not to get lost in the world. No. But 
but to remain steadfast and be about our Father's business. These men, these men were shepherds. Shepherd. Be obedient day in and day out in your task that you have been assigned to now. Work hard. Work hard. Be a good worker. Serve diligently. Honor God in all that you say and do. And he is faithful to bring about what he has purposed for your life. What an incredible picture here. Chapter 47. Then Joseph went to see Pharaoh and told him, My father and my brothers have arrived from the land of Canaan. They have come with all their flocks and herds of possessions, and they now are in the region of Goshen. Joseph took five of his brothers with him and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? They replied, We, your servants, are shepherds, just like our ancestors. We have come to live here in Egypt. Look, look at this. For a while. Oh, we're not here to stay. But for a while, we're here. For there is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine is very severe there. So please, we request permission to live in the region of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. And if any of them have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This is huge, you all. Don't miss what's being read here and what you're reading. Do you realize that these men humbled themselves? They're humbled. And yet, in, in the midst of it all, their lives have been disrupted. There's a severe famine. Everything they've known is turned upside down. They just want to survive. And yet, in that mode, that survival mode, they haven't lost themselves. And it's so quick, how quick do we lose ourselves when things are pressing up against us, when life seems to turn upside down quickly? Oh, may we not react over our circumstances, but may we trust God. I mean, here they are being ushered in to a godless ruler. And yet, they're respectful. God, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot. And my goodness, here's Jacob now being brought into Pharaoh. And what does Jacob have to offer Pharaoh? This man who thinks he's God. This man who ruled. Jacob blessed him. How old are you, Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, 
I have traveled this earth. I love this. For 130 hard years. But my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. There's something about a blessing, you all. There's something about a blessing. Jacob knew it. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So Joseph assigned the best land of Egypt, the region of Ramses, to his father and his brothers, and he settled them there, just as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided food for his father and his brothers in amounts appropriate to the number of their dependents, including the smallest children. Jacob and sons were provided for. Were provided for. And the question that we can also ask of ourselves, that some takeaways is, who are you blessing? In the midst of, of seasons of life that may not seem to be fair, are you cursing more than you're blessing during those times? Be careful then how you live. Be careful of what's coming out of your mouth. Be careful of what you're speaking over others. Be careful of what others are hearing. Notice that they're not grumbling and complaining. They're not fault-finding here. We'll see them do it later. <laughs> but here we're seeing the foundation of this nation that God is calling to himself to be honorable people who honors their God. They didn't go into Pharaoh and demand. Joseph didn't go in and demand of Pharaoh, this is what you're going to do for my family, because look how I spared you. No, they didn't make it about themselves. They were humbled men whose lives had been turned upside down. But yet they knew, especially Jacob, because God told them, I'm sending you there. And yet, they, made, they remained on task. They remained faithful. And their interactions that we see here with each other and with Pharaoh should encourage us and inspire us to live the same. To live the same. And so let it, let it be of us too. That we would be able to testify. Of our God. In the midst of uncertainty. In the middle of our famine. By the way in which we live our lives. They were provided for. God was bringing about what God has always purposed. Verse 13 of chapter 47. Meanwhile, the famine became so severe that all the food was used up and people were starving throughout the lands of Egypt and Canaan. Look at this. Look how severe it is. And yet Jacob, his sons, their family... 
They're provided for. And even in the times in which we live in, the uncertain times of our generation, God's people will be provided for. We must use wisdom. We must plan as he leads. But ultimately, it is God who will provide. God's people will be provided for. In the midst of this severe famine throughout the lands of Egypt and Canaan, Verse 14, by selling grain to the people, Joseph eventually collected all the money in Egypt and Canaan. And he put the money in Pharaoh's treasury. When the people of Egypt and Canaan ran out of all of money, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. Our money is gone, they cried. But please give us food or we will die before your very eyes. And Joseph replied, since your money is gone, bring me your livestock. And I will give food in exchange for your livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph in exchange for food, to exchange for their horses, flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and donkeys. Joseph provided them with food for another year. But that year ended. (laughs) And the next year came again. And they came again and said, We cannot hide the truth from you, my Lord. Our money is gone. All of our livestock, our cattle are yours. We have nothing left to give but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your very eyes? Buy us and our land in exchange for food. We offer our land and ourselves as slaves for Pharaoh. Just give us grain so that we may live and not die. And so the land does not become empty and desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. All the Egyptians sold him their fields because the famine was so severe. And soon all the land belonged to Pharaoh. As for the people, he made them all slaves from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land he did not buy was the land belonging to the priest. They received an allotment of food directly from Pharaoh, so they did not need to sell their land. And these priests were godly priests. (laughs) These were the priests of Egypt. The sorcerers, the magicians, those who worship all these other gods. It's interesting, though, that we see in Egypt the concept that we'll see in Israel, how God set up how the priests will live among the Israelites within his nation. So I didn't want us to get confused when you saw the, the word there, priest, that you, you think it was godly priests. These are not godly men. They serve Pharaoh. Then Joseph said to the people, Look, today I have brought you and your land for Pharaoh. I will provide you with seed so you can plant the fields. Then you will harvest it. One-fifth of your crop will belong to Pharaoh. You will keep the remaining four-fifths as seed for your fields as, and as food for you, your household, and your little ones. You have saved our lives, they exclaimed. May it please my Lord to let us be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph then issued a decree still in effect in the land of Egypt that Pharaoh should receive one-fifth of all the crops grown on his land, only the land belonging to the priest was not given to Pharaoh. 
Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt. There they acquired property and they were fruitful and their population grew rapidly. Remember, he's building a nation. Jacob lived for 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. So he lived 147 years in all. As the time of his death drew near, Jacob called for his son Joseph and said to him, Please, I'm sorry, please do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring my last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. Swear that you will do it, Jacob insisted. So Joseph gave his oath, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. Some versions in the Greek versions read, and Israel bowed and worshiped as he leaned on his staff. In verse 31 there. Wow. All along, remember, Egypt wasn't to be the final stop nor the resting place. Mm -hmm. God was just using Egypt at this time for his purpose. As we will see as we further our study, he'll use Egypt again for the purpose to bring about out of Israel what God's intending this nation to be. And it's a beautiful picture here of this promise and why it was specific that he put his hand under his thigh and swear. Because this promise was not just for Jacob, but for his descendants. That Egypt will not be their final resting place. Mm -hmm. That they will be brought out of Egypt. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 28 of Matthew chapter 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. These men, these religious men, they're, they're more concerned about their traditions not being kept than they are that the Messiah is right before them. They were always seeking to discredit Jesus. They hold themselves up by their traditions, their religious acts, to make them look good in front of others, that they are looking godly. And yet, when they see Jesus' disciples not wash their hands, they have an issue. So again, they come seeking answers 
for their own traditions than actually seeking Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus replied, I have to remember, these were the religious men of the day. These were the men who were leading God's people of the day. These were the men that if you had questions of God that you would go seek. And yet, Jesus, every time he interacted with them, he exposed them for who they were. He exposes them of who they are inwardly and whom they belong to. Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? I can only imagine those standing around hearing Jesus interact with these men. Listen to these words. And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way... You say they don't need to honor their parents. You want to bring up tradition? Let's bring up the commandments. Basically, Jesus is saying. You give people a way out of the commandment in which God has set to honor your father and mother. In fact, it is so severe that if you disrespect your father and mother, you could be put to death. But listen, he exposes their greed. Verse 5, But you say, you Pharisees, say to the people, It is our right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. The Pharisees were in it for the money. And they used God to set up a way to rob from the people. Don't give that money to your parents. You vow it to God. And yet they would take the money and they would build themselves up and provide for themselves. They would fatten themselves up. And we just this week celebrated the Reformation 500 years ago on the 31st of October. Martin Luther nailed the theses to the doors of the church. Men in those years and during those times, even before Luther came on the scene, knew that something was wrong with what was taking place in the church. And Martin Luther had such a desire for people to be freed. That they would have the word of God in their hands. He started exposing the works of the church at that time. The Catholic church who ruled the land. 
because they made it all about the money. They made it all about themselves. And they were giving out all these, what do they call them? Indulgences. Indulgences. That if you do this and you do this and you pay this and you pay that, you'll be saved. And not only you, your family members who are in purgatory will be saved. Those people were ignorant. They didn't know the word of God. They didn't know Jesus. And yet the, the religious men of those days manipulated the people, holding over their head salvation to be right with God, your loved ones to be right with God, that they created a place that in the word of God you don't find. There is no purgatory. And yet, they enslaved God's people for their own benefit. It happens. If you don't know the word of God, and all you're doing is going and doing by what you hear preached, you could be enslaved to destruction. Remember, Jesus even tells the Pharisees at that time that you're leading, you're making people twice as much the son of hell as you are because you're deceiving them with your lies about God. Praise God for, for the men and the women throughout the centuries who had to give up their life so that you can hold the word in your hand. That was such a beautiful movie the other night. To visually see the hunger for truth in the people when they started hearing about Jesus being the only means of salvation, when they started getting the word of God written in their language that they can see and read and hear, they became freed. And Jesus here is exposing these men. You violate the commandment for your own purpose because it, fix, it pleases you. You're not even holding. And you're worried about a tradition? <laughs> Verse 7. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Here's another slap in the face to these religious men from Jesus. You hypocrites! Remember, these were God and I say it loosely, fear and men. They knew the prophets. They know the writings of the prophets. So Jesus is doing a one-two on them. Not only are you hypocrites, but you know what Isaiah has spoken. And what Isaiah has spoken, he actually was speaking of you. Man. When he wrote, verse 8, These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's huge, you all. These men were stripped naked, if you would. <laughs> they were exposed for their greed. 
And they were also exposed that God knew who they were. Because years before Isaiah prophesied about them. Wow. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Wow. I'm telling you, we've really got to know our Jesus. Not the Jesus that the, that the lukewarm church preaches. The Jesus that everybody else wants Jesus to be. No, we've got to know Jesus, you all. We've got to know him. Lest we're led astray by people who preach a different Jesus. We've got to know him. And I love the fact that now, as he's dealing with these Pharisees, he turns to the crowd. He frees them. He liberates them, if you would. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? And Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So ignore them. Wow. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they both will fall into a ditch. Don't be concerned about them. Every plant not planted by my Heavenly Father will be uprooted. Jesus, God help us. Not everybody's heading to heaven, you all. Careful who you're listening to. Careful who you are allowing to lead you. Because if they're not leading you to Jesus, if they're not leading you to freedom in Christ, of salvation, of the hope that you have in Christ, then they're leading you astray. And that's why you always heard me say, if you hear a gospel that's giving you the right to yourself, if you hear a gospel that says, oh, just come, accept Jesus, but live however you want, he's okay, he understands your ways, careful. The gospel doesn't give you the right to keep living in sin. Jesus didn't come and do all that he did to you to discredit all that he did. For you to keep living the way that you want to live. Jesus tells his disciples, oh no, listen, and I love what he says here. So ignore them. They are blind guides, leading the blind. And so then Peter says in verse 15, says to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Because remember back in those times, even in our times, people tried to pressure people of God by putting rules on what people can eat. So these disciples understood 
the ceremonial food regulations. And so they came to Jesus, and so they're asking him, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat, because I believe that's what we've heard before. <laughs> Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked? Anything you eat passes through the stomach, and then it goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. It's funny how the religious tries to set up these traditions, these rules, and these laws to make people holy. And these rules and these laws will never make you holy or right with God. Only Jesus does that, you all. Only a life that is surrendered to Christ. Only a life that lives in obedience unto Christ. Who receives him who believes in him by faith, who confesses him with their mouth. A life transformed, born again of a new nature. Remember, you're born again of a new nature. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. You're growing in it now. You're maturing in it now. You're not perfect, but you are, and you should be, maturing and that's why I've always challenged you all. If you're not maturing, something is wrong. Something is definitely wrong with what you believe. And Jesus himself is concerned about the foolishness that men and women believe. We push more, the religious people push more of their traditions and maintaining rules and laws than they do the truth about the heart. They'll keep this, they'll keep that. They'll keep this, they'll keep that. But they're just vile and wicked in the heart. Their heart hasn't been circumcised. Listen to what comes out of their mouth. Watch them. The heart Jesus, for the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. These men came to Jesus more concerned about their disciples not washing their hands. And Jesus is more concerned with the heart. You keep your rules and your laws and your regulations. But they're burdening you. It's Jesus that comes to free you. That frees you. To live a life as unto the Lord. I've always told you all, if you've been around me long enough, you want to know how close you are to Jesus? Listen to your own words that are coming out of your mouth. Listen to the thoughts that are running them up in your head. You want to know how close you are? Listen. 
you're exposed. Exposes us. And so we don't waller in shame and condemnation. No, we just recognize it. Oh God. Oh God. Forgive me. Forgive me. So many times we just slap stuff out of our mouth and, and we just go about it as if it's nothing. Or we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh. But yet you say it right again the next opportunity you get. The truth is, are you truly repentant? Do you truly see the wickedness of your heart? The severity of the sickness that is within you? And you go, oh God. Like we're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're talking about Jesus. The Holy One who calls us to Himself that we are to bear His image. And somehow... We'll keep rules and regulations and we'll work tirelessly to keep the rules and the regulations that man has set up, but we won't deal with the heart. I just do this, I just do that. If I don't do this, I don't do that. If I don't do this, I don't do that. Then I'm right with God. Like somehow we in and of ourselves can make us right with God. We can't. Only Jesus can. So allow the Holy Spirit to really reveal your heart to you today throughout this upcoming week. And allow him to lead you to a place of repentance. Allow him to lead you to a place that you get before God and you say, oh God, help me. Deliver me from this. That you don't allow yourself to just be beaten up or like, oh, I'm just not a good Christian. And you make it still all about you. You've got to get over yourself. And you got to say, God, I need you in this area of my life. Help me, Lord, to tame my tongue. There's, the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue and your words. But it's more than just your tongue and your words. Look at the actions. Adultery. Sexual immorality. Slander. Lying. Murder evil thoughts. It's all a condition of the heart that does not surrender to Christ. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading. Now this is important, you all. I I really, I don't I pay attention to this because we just saw Jesus deal with the religious men. These pious men, these religious Jews. They were Jewish men. And now we're seeing a Gentile woman. Remember, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. They were like dogs to them. Dogs were probably treated better than Gentiles would. And then you add the fact that she was a woman, which even makes her lower. She's a Gentile and she's a woman. She was looked down upon. She was nothing to the Jews. You're talking about 
prejud being prejudiced. <laughs> you talking about racism. <laughs> Here it is. She was a Gentile and she was a woman. She was beneath the Jews. She had no identity. She was of no worth to this society, the Jewish society, and yet she's running after Jesus, a Jew. She must have heard everything about the Messiah, Jesus. Everything that he has been doing in his ministry, the healings, the miracles, the feedings. I get excited about it, you all. Who lived there came to him pleading, pleading. She's begging. Have mercy on me. Listen to how she describes him. Oh, Lord, son of David. She was a Gentile, you all. She wasn't a Jew. And yet, and yet, someone so far away, if you would, from God, knew who Jesus was. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. She's pleading. She's at her wit's end. She is desperate. She recognizes the fact that she is not worthy to be in his presence, much less the presence of the Jews. <laughs> but yet she's come with a request. Have mercy, O Lord, son of David. Heal my daughter. She's tormented. I'm sure you mothers could, could probably relate that if your children were ever in a state of torment, would you plead on their behalf? And Jesus doesn't even give them the time or day. This is what it says there. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him, send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all of her begging. Wow. Lest you think Jesus is being unloving. Lest you think you go, wait a minute, Jesus is not responding to this woman? I'm not even saying a word to her. She's pleading. She's begging. <laughs> oh, no, Jesus knows exactly how this is all going to play out. Mm -hmm. 
may not understand why the answers don't come right away. But trust me, he has it all figured out. There's a lesson here. There's a lesson here. And then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. I love this woman, y'all. So my tears fill my eyes, because I can only imagine her desperation. Like, yes, I've been told I'm nothing. Yes, I've been told, and I maybe have heard, that you're only here to save Israel. But I know that you do miracles. And I'm worshiping you. She even came closer to him, which was not right. She was a woman. She was a Gentile. You do not get close to the Jews, especially a Jewish man. And she came closer to him and worshiped him. <laughs> Lord, help me. And you know another lesson I would encourage you to learn from this woman? She doesn't allow her offense, her being offended, to find her. She didn't waller away, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me, look how they treated me. No. She pressed in. So many of us, we get offended and we pull away. All of a sudden... All of a sudden, he's not God. I don't want nothing to do with him. I don't want to do nothing with those Christians. I don't want to do nothing with them. People's offense, people's offense defines them. And in being offended, they pull away. But oh, we will learn a lesson from this woman. Press in. Press in. Because it's in your pressing in that your perseverance will define your character. How many people don't show up for church because they're offended? Think about that. They don't come to church because oh, I don't like what they say. They're offended. This woman could have walked away but she had already settled in her heart. I know I'm unworthy. But I'm not giving up. <laughs> Isn't that how we should come to Jesus? Like, I know I'm unworthy. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. I am unworthy. But he's worthy. I know of him, but I just don't want to have a knowledge of him. I want to belong to him. And Jesus makes a way, you all. So that through him, we are made right with God. And when God looks on us, he doesn't see our sin. 
he sees Jesus, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, who washes away our sin. The young man I heard preaching the other day, it was so beautiful. You know when the scripture says he doesn't remember our sins as far as the east is to the west? He says, it's vital that it was described that way. Because if he would have had to say from north to south, there would have been a, a, a stopping point. You only can go so far north, and then you reach the tip. And you only can go so far south, and you reach the tip. But if you head east, you would never meet west. If you head west, you would never meet east. You will always be going west, or you will always be going east. But if you travel north and south, you're going to reach an end at some point. Like he doesn't remember your sins. Like this is good news, you all. That's the gospel. You're liberated from your old ways of life. You're liberated to live differently. You're born again. You don't go the ways of this world any longer. You're liberated. You're defined by Christ and His righteousness. Not in your ways of trying to maintain it. No, you come unworthy. You come as a sinner. You come. And in that, He receives you. He cleanses you. He makes you right with God. Romans 5, 1 says, Now therefore you're at peace with God. Through Jesus Christ, your Lord. You're at peace with God. You don't have to worry about his wrath. You don't have to worry about, you know, being separated from, from eternity. No, you're at peace with God because of Jesus. All because of what Jesus has done. I'm at peace. And even as a Christian, when you do sin, you get up. You repent. A mark of a believer is not a life of sin. A mark of a believer is one of obedience and repentance. Beautiful, you all. The freedom that we have in Christ. We don't have to strive to be perfect. We just allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in which He came to do within us. This woman was pressing in. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Wow. And then she replied, <laughs> I love her, man. That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Again, she could have allowed these words to offend her, and I'm going to go my own way. Forget about all this. She's going to become angry and bitter, but she presses in even more. Oh, that is true. But even the dogs eat the scraps from their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. 
What? Do you, can you only imagine? His disciples were just begging him, get rid of her, get rid of her. These people were surrounded. They were watching this interaction. And Jesus all along knew how this was going to end. He was exposing not only her level of faith, but the lack of faith of the Jewish people, of his people. He was finding it hard to find faith in those who should have had the faith. And here's this Gentile woman who had great faith. Great faith. And her request was granted. She was persistent. She didn't give up, you all. She didn't even allow her unworthiness to stop her. Like, oh no, I am not leaving here. Until you bless me. Heal my daughter. And she wasn't being arrogant in it. Because she was humbled. She was worshiping him. I know who you are. I know what you can do. And I'm not leaving here. Until my daughter is healed. Persistent. Humble. Humble. And such great faith was exposed to those around Jesus who should have possessed it. He was revealing to them the condition of their hearts. Here this woman has great faith. He announces it. Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And instantly. Not a day later, an hour later. Not a year later. No, instantly. Her daughter was delivered. She was healed. Wow. Go to Psalm 19. Psalm of David. Listen to the words that were penned. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Wow. Creation's breathtaking, you all. He has designed it. Don't take for granted what's before us. His design, his craftsmanship. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete, eager to run the race. 
The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Listen to what he's describing here. It's all good news. It's all life-giving. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them, I love this, control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Ah. Oh. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Wow. Want to know how to deal with the guilt and shame of sin? Be transparent before God. Be transparent before God, you all. What a beautiful song. The majesty of our God. It's creation. The wisdom and the beauty that is found in his truths. <laughs> Do you meditate upon these? Are you drawn to him? He has so much more for us, you all. So much more for us. Go to Proverbs 14. I mean, Proverbs 4. We're reading verses 14 through 19 is where we're closing. Don't do as the wicked do. And don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. For evil people can't sleep until they've done their evil deed for the day. They can't rest until they've caused someone to stumble. They eat the food of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines even brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like cold darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. There is a way to life, you all. There is a way in which we ought to be living. And in that way, that way that is found only in Christ, we are satisfied. We are satisfied in Christ. 
to live apart from Him or just to have a form of religion will never satisfy you. You're just vile and wicked. Going the ways of the flesh, going the ways of the world, having your needs and your desires, craving them to be fulfilled. And all along, wandering aimlessly to your destruction. And yet God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. And yet we live in a generation now where it's getting darker and darker and darker. And yet we, the church, Christians, are to be burning brighter and brighter and brighter. And the only way to do that is to abide in Christ. For apart from Him, we could do nothing. To learn of Him. To go His way. Why would we continue to go our way and claim His name? It doesn't work. Listen, from ages ago, don't do as the wicked do. And don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. For evil people can't sleep until, they're, until they've done their evil deed for the day. They can't rest until they've caused someone to stumble. They eat the food of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Oh, but the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines even brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. I remember when I was lost in the world. All those cravings, all those desires. The filth and the muck and the mire. The attitudes. Everything. And I had no idea of what I was stumbling over. Nor did, nor did you. Or no, do you. If you're still going that way. And yet God yet is pleased to reveal himself to you. Come the ways. Or come the way of the righteous. Come the way of Christ. Seek him. Set your gaze upon him. Honor him. With your life. Because your life is no longer your own. So wherever you find yourself today. Be encouraged. An opportunity to pray for a young man the other day. And I said, how can I pray for you this week? And he, does, he doesn't know, you know, I always talk about burning bright. I don't think he's ever heard me say that. But he said to me so innocently, I just want the embers of my heart to burn ever brighter. be our desire as we get up from this day and as we go throughout our week that the embers of our heart, the seeds that, uh, that have been planted within us of truth may they be set ablaze so that you would burn bright that you would desire the things of God but you would seek to know him 
The Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. So let him breathe upon you afresh and anew. Be set freed. Be delivered. Experience the joy of the Lord, the freedom that is in Christ. And trust him that he will work out for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer.